Alexa, I want to buy the Secret Room Podcast t-shirt. Did you want me to order the Secret Room Podcast t-shirt? Uh, yeah. That's right. The best podcast t-shirt ever. And it's available on Amazon Prime right now. Find it in five luscious colors and styles for men and women. Up your cool factor now by showing your affiliation with the coolest indie podcast on the planet. Go to Amazon.com and search for The Secret Room Podcast. Alexa, which color t-shirt do you like best? Infrared is super pretty. Uh, no, it's not really available in infrared yet. Maybe soon. And freshly posted, see yours truly flying the secret room colors in a heather blue while hiking in Colorado. Check it out at facebook.com slash secretroompod. The Secret Room Podcast is brought to you by Audible, purveyors of the largest audiobook collection anywhere. To get a free audiobook download and a complimentary 30-day membership courtesy of The Secret Room, head to audibletrial.com slash secretroom. The following is an at-will presentation. Okay, so here's my interesting and strange confession, my secret. One of my best friends is getting married this weekend, tomorrow actually. Um, We've been friends for a very long time. He was actually my prom date, and I did kind of have a crush on him when we were younger, but I never told him. But I love him to death. He's getting married, and I remember when we were in college, this has been like five years ago. I remember him asking me, what do you think about Carrie? And I specifically remember telling him, I think she's kind of dumb. I remember saying that. This was like five years ago, and he must have completely forgotten I said that because he invited me to the wedding. I said, why did you do this? And this is when I knew he knew what his mother had done. He said, because all women are whores. And he said, you're one too. I said, you know, I'm going to have to report this to the police. I said, you know that you're in serious trouble. You know that you can no longer visit the children. I said, and you need to leave this house immediately. We first talked about doing the story like nine months ago. Oh, I know. Um, let me think if I can remember it exactly what happened. It's kind of a difficult story. Yes, yes. Just just how secret is it? Nobody knows it here for the most part. Um, maybe one or two friends and we don't talk about it. It's been 31 years. So it happened in Cleveland, Ohio. So, you know, I mean, it was the story of the day when it happened, but you know, it was a long time ago. So, yeah, it's it's pretty secret. It's taken me a little while to warm up to, to be honest. I mean, I can't hide it. I'm not planning on hiding it. I'm planning on talking about it, you know. Hey, everyone, it's Ben. Today's topic, it's a tough one. It's why this episode is entitled Unspeakable, because for many people, well, this topic is just that. Carol's been holding this secret tight for 31 years. Well, it's time to talk about the fact that our family had an outward happy life and an inward hot mess, you know. Carol shares her story of survival and perseverance with you so that people will know the truth, so that people can watch for signs, and so that maybe, even if just one person can be helped, well, 
then some good can come of the awful mess that was her first marriage. I want to give you a pass real quick if a story of what an evil man did to his children, to his wife, and to himself isn't for you, or if it might trigger awful memories. But I encourage you to stick around because Carol's story is shared here as a resource and as a beacon for those who were victims in the way that Carol's children were. There's a lot of secrets in this family, believe me. Welcome to The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Now, let's rewind back to 1967. Carol and her new husband were married just seven months after her friend's introduction. I was pregnant. <laughs> yes, that'll make it real quick, you know. What were the early years of your marriage like, Carol? It was very rough. My salary was $400 a month. A month. You know, and basically his was too. And we had a baby coming and we lived in his mother's house, but she no longer lived there. His mother was mentally ill and she was in a home. And so you had your baby. How did that go? It went just fine. I, I wanted a baby, so that part was all really good. And we had a little boy and he was born on leap year day. So he's a February 29th baby. I was very proud of him. Three years later, we had our second son. And then about two years after that, we had our daughter. So you were raising three kids together. How was it? You know, when I look back at that time, it seems normal. It really does. We traveled. We did vacations. We had a lot of fun with his brothers. To me, it was a normal marriage. And you had no idea something else was going on. Oh, I had no idea. No, I had no idea how sick this man was. No. Looking back, did you have any sense that, that something was wrong? I was warned, so to speak, by other members of his family, like his own father, had mm, issues. He definitely had some problems. I think they knew what his mother was doing to support the family. Oh, really? What was that? I found out that his mother had been well, selling her body to make ends meet. The neighbors told me. I mean, it was the talk of the street. How do you suppose everyone on the street knew? They talked about a red light. Really? She literally had the red light going, yeah. So she was literally conducting business at the house when she was raising her husband. Yes, she was, which meant he was seeing it. The woman was untrained. She had no training whatsoever in any kind of field of work. You know, that's all she could do. Where was the dad? He had abandoned. He had walked out. Hard times, for sure. Did your husband ever tell you about that? No, never. But you're pretty sure he knew about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Down the road, I confronted him on things, and I could tell he knew. She probably died within the first two years of our marriage. So you never had a chance to talk to her about it either? It wouldn't have helped. She was mentally, you know, not there. She had dementia, severe dementia. Did you have help with the kids? No, not really. I worked second shift so that when they came home, they were only home for like an hour by themselves. And then their dad came home. Well, I see. So, so here's part of the problem, right? He had a lot of time at home with the kids while you were out working. Yeah, he did, which was part of the secret. What was your first hint that something was wrong? Well, it took quite a while. I mean, we still had a happy life. You know, we had, we had a lot of friends. We were on vacation every summer. Really and truly, I had no warning 
I came home from working seven to three shift and I walked in the door and he was lying on the couch and barely conscious. I'm a nurse. It didn't take much to, for me to figure out that he had taken an overdose of something. And when I kind of slapped him around and brought him to, he told me he had taken quite a few Tylenol. Was it an accident or, or had he taken them on purpose? No, I knew he had taken them on purpose. I mean, he admitted it. Did you think he was in a state where he was capable of doing such a thing? It wasn't the only thing he did. He tried to slash his wrist and he tried to electrocute himself. When was that? That same day. He wanted to die. Uh, According to his psychiatrist down the road, he had reached a breaking point where he couldn't hide it anymore. Many times depressed people will pretend that everything's okay. He He must have pretended for years. How, how did cutting his wrist not kill him? He didn't go deep enough. And how did he try to electrocute himself? Radio in the bathtub. And how did that fail? It just didn't shock him enough. I don't mean to laugh. I know it's not funny, but think about it. You know, it's like, how did it fail? It wasn't a strong enough current, obviously. We took him to the hospital where I work because they had a psych unit. And three to four days later, he signed himself out because he could. During the time that he had been hospitalized, you must have asked him why. He just made all those asinine promises that he would never do it again. He wouldn't go for therapy. So, I mean, we were at, we were stonewalled. He was put on antidepressive medication for a while. His brothers refused to believe that he ever tried to do that. Another another sign of a big dysfunctional family there. For the next three years, we lived in a bubble of don't piss daddy off. And that was for fear that he might try to kill himself again? Well, yeah. So what happened three years later? Karma's a bitch, because this is what happened. He got up to use the bathroom at night, and all of a sudden I heard this horrible sound. He had fallen, he had struck his head, he's lying on the bathroom floor, And it's probably two o'clock in the morning. And he wasn't bleeding badly, and he had come to somewhat. And I called an ambulance and we took him to Cleveland Clinic. We got there and they started doing neuro exams on him and they turned to me and they said he has had a stroke. Over the next three days, he had eight more strokes. And what caused the strokes? He was a young man. Yeah, hypertension. He was only in his 40s. One of the strokes left him partially paralyzed and unable to speak correctly. He had dysphagia. He needed surgery because they did an ultrasound on his arteries and saw that they were basically occluded going to his brain. We put him into the hospital to have the surgery. That very day, my middle son set his school locker on fire because he was so confused about his feelings about his father. He wanted his father to die. But on the other hand, he didn't want his father to die. He's in the jail, and I'm at Cleveland Clinic, and this is like one of the most fun days of my life. You know, I'm a very lucky person with the connections I have in medicine, and I got my son transferred to the psych unit at Cleveland Clinic. So now I had him and his father in the same hospital. We brought him home. Things were very different and things were not good. The marriage was failing. This is when things started to come out when my children didn't want to be around him. I've got one that tries to set fire to a school locker. 
The other two are doing everything they can do to stay away from home. They're staying overnight at girlfriends, they're staying overnight at boyfriends, you know. And so my son and I, we asked him to move downstairs and we would continue to take care of him. We were going to get a divorce and I was helping him get ready to move out. Why'd you move him downstairs? He was just very bizarre. He threw things sometimes and he did things and it was scaring the kids, you know. And did he leave you alone after that? He would break into our house and he would call me at work and he'd say, I'm in your house, what are you going to do about it? Damn, scary shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I would drive home and I would see him. I had a big bay window in my front living room and I would see him standing there. I'd see his shadow. One day he came in and I called the police and they came to the house and unbeknownst to me, the middle son who now had privileges from his home for wayward boys had also broken into the house and was hiding under the couch in the basement. If he had moved a muscle, he could have been shot. You know, he could have been. I mean, think because the cops went in with their guns drawn. He slashed all my clothes. He stole all my jewelry. He ruined all our appliances. Um, yeah, he did a lot of damage out of anger and out of sickness. We were probably a year past the divorce when one night my son came into my bedroom, my oldest son, and he said, Mom, you know what really, really pissed me off about Dad? And I said, no, what? And he said, all the time that when I wanted to play baseball, he made me to do all the work around the house. And I said, well, you know, Jamie, that's part of growing up. And he said, yeah, you know what else pissed me off? When he would have wrestling matches in the bedroom and put the dresser in front of the door so nobody could walk in on him. I said, wrestling matches with who? My heart sank. My stomach was in my feet. I knew what the answer was going to be. And he said, well, with... And... And I said, wait, did you say wrestling matches? He said, well, Mom, it was worse than that. It was naked wrestling matches. At that point, if you'd had a gun, you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously. You know, and he's due to come and visit my children the next day. I called each one of the other two home individually from their friends' houses, and we sat and talked in my bedroom. And stories came tumbling out that weren't very pretty. I don't think I ever got the whole total truth from my children. It's very difficult to tell your mother that your father's been sexually abusing them. He threatened them, uh, the family would fall apart, there'd be no more vacations, there'd be no more this, there'd be no more that. And I confronted him. I said to him, did you do this? He admitted it. And I said, why did you do this? And this is when I knew, he knew what his mother had done. He said, because all women are whores. And he said, you're one too. And he said, well, I know what goes on when you work second shift, you're screwing all the doctors. So I said to him, well, you know that you can no longer visit the children. I said, you know I'm going to have to report this to the police. I said, you know that you're in serious trouble. I said, and you need to leave this house immediately. He would get that sick-looking grin on his face because his face was kind of lopsided. And I just wanted to punch his lights out, you know, because it looked like he was almost laughing. So what does he do next? Are you worried he'll come over with a weapon? Remember, 
He'd had strokes. He was on anti-seizure medication. He could not buy a gun in the state of Ohio, so he had a friend buy one for him. He bought a gun, and he put it to his temple, and he pulled the trigger. Wow. How did you find out he'd committed suicide? I was at work, and the police called. Do you remember what they said? Yeah, they said, this is the Cleveland Police Department. We regret to inform you that your husband is dead of probably a self-inflicted, you know, wound to the head. And Carol, what went through your mind when you heard those words? I fell to the ground because I knew this was going to be just one great big, you know, another mess for me to clean up. Did you leave a note? Anything? No note. No anything. They didn't find him for three days. That was pleasant. We had to clean up the apartment. He did it in his own bed. He did it through a pillow. Wow. Mm-hmm. He held a pillow to his head. And did you say that you had to clean the apartment? Oh, my son and I did, yeah. I mean, why? Because the landlord wanted everything out of there. Somebody had to go do it. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. He gave my daughter $1,000. One day, she brought it out to me, and I said, where did this come from? And she goes, from Dad. And I said, well, hallelujah, we can eat this month. Huh. So was there a funeral service? There was, and a lot of his friends from work came, and they gave me a lot of, they gave me a lot of, you know what? They said, you're divorced, you don't have any reason to be here. I said, I have a daughter who's only 13, I will be here. This is the same man that bought him the gun, so I got in his face about that anyway. You know, I said, you know, you may as well have pulled the trigger yourself, Tony, because you bought him the gun. He wasn't allowed to buy a gun. I, I guess his friends didn't know the full story, right, about the abuse and the stalking? No, but when it started coming out, they didn't want to believe it either. Because you know what? He was a nice guy. He was a wonderful guy. You know, he was their boss. You know, he did everything for them. You know, mm-hmm. his brothers didn't want to believe it. Nobody wanted to believe it. Carol, it's been 31 years since your ex-husband committed suicide. You've kept it a secret so long. Why talk about it now? It's not fun. I went and did monthly appointments with a social worker. And naturally, you know, the suicide came out. And she encouraged me to talk about it because there's people, even my own children, who now have children, who don't know the entire story. I didn't want to leave this earth without telling them a little bit more about what happened. That must be, that must be heartbreaking to you. It ruined our lives. It absolutely ruined our lives. I mean, I don't have a relationship with my two youngest children. They've never, ever been able to deal with it properly. My oldest son has. They don't talk to him either. Um, They don't talk to each other. Nobody speaks at all. My daughter told me one time in an email, I have forgiven dad, but... And that butt hung heavy in the room, but I haven't forgiven you. They think I should have known. There were a lot of things that I wish I had known. He'd have been gone long ago and he'd been in jail forever. They don't want to blame their dad. He was a sick man. That's what she told me. He was a sick man. I've forgiven him. So the two youngest you don't have relations with, but you do with the oldest? Yes. Yes. Both of them have missed a lot of fun and a lot of family. We have babies, we have nieces and nephews, we have a wedding coming up, we have graduation from 
college, you know. There's so much that they've stayed away from that's so sad. And you're married to another man now. How's that? He knows everything that's happened. Uh, No secrets. We have no secrets. If he listened to this podcast, it'd probably be very disturbing to him because even though he knows everything, he probably doesn't want to hear it again, you know. You told me you're going to write a book about it. Oh, my goodness, yes. See, the kids don't know that his mother did the things that she did. So maybe if they ever read the book, they might understand a little bit more of what a sick individual their father was. I firmly believe he went out laughing as sad as that sounds, I do. That he was at peace what he was going to do because he knew that our lives would be effed up for a long time. He knew that he had won. After 31 years, Carol, how does it feel having told the full story here in the secret room? It's out there now. It's okay that it's out there now. It's time for the story to come out because the truth of the matter is it's going to shock some people, but I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? It's a truly unspeakable story. At this point, I'm really fine. More sad than angry. Sad that he ever did something like that to his children. You're supposed to love and protect your children. Thank you, Carol, for sharing your secret. Oh, Ben, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. Carol's got a good life in Florida now, and she lives with her second husband, and she has a great relationship with her oldest son. She's going to start writing that book soon, but she tells me that after three decades, she doesn't ruminate on events of the past. After we were done with the interview, I asked Carol about her daughter. When was the last time you saw her? The last time I saw her, I was in Texas on business, and I deliberately went to the store that I know she works at, and I put myself right in front of her. Wow. Because I thought, maybe it's time. And she looked at me, and she was happy to see me. She went, oh, hi, Mom. And then all of a sudden, she shut down again. And that was it? You haven't spoken to her since? Yeah. I don't know what happened. I got a text from Carol a few days after our interview. She said, I dug out boxes of photos and remembered as I went through them that I kept next to nothing from that time. Then, I found this picture, taken at Walt Disney World of me and my kids in the winter of 1981, and it would be right at the time their father had molested the two youngest. It's difficult for me to spend a lot of time looking at these old pictures, but Ben, you can post it. Carol, I'm looking at the picture you sent right now. Your arm drapes around your eldest son's shoulder. Your other hand rests at your daughter's side. Her younger brother sits next to her. Four faces gaze stoically at the camera, a portal to your future self. More than three decades later, it's a retrospect for you to a time that seemed innocent, yet roiled with tumult, with distress, just out of sight. The shutter clicked by the very man responsible. Thank you, Carol, for sharing your picture with me and with the audience. It's up now at facebook.com slash secretroompod. Obviously, wounds like this don't ever fully heal. The long, dark shadow of the sexual abuse, the stalking, and the suicide will forever darken Carol's world and the worlds of her children. If you have sustained sexual trauma, check out rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot org as a resource. They run a hotline and offer a range of services. I'll link them at facebook.com slash secretroompod and in the show notes on your player. 
next time in The Secret Room. My secret is that even though I'm a medical professional and I am making life and death decisions for animals, I also have a major flaw as it is and I am bipolar. I would say maybe 0.05% of my clients know and if they know it's because they saw me on a day I was manic and I had to explain myself. Elaine tells us what it's like to manage her mental illness while balancing work and home at the same time. It's not that I had any concerns that I was going to hurt my child, but I was so stressed out and I had hired a babysitter. At one point she breastfed my child without me asking her to. A normal person would have told her to like pack your bags and don't ever come back, but I was trying to figure it all out. I was so confused. Hear Elaine's remarkable story on episode 41 of The Secret Room next time. And I started communicating with the cow that was near me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Secret Room, Episode 40, Unspeakable. I know we've been running a little off schedule lately, which, if it's not totally obvious, has been to post a fresh secret every other Sunday night. But, you know, it's hard in the pod cave. Also toiling in this cool, damp darkness are producers Susie Lark and Paula Traz, and the Street Secret team, which gets the bite-sized secrets that open up every single show. Thanks, guys. We're always looking for fresh secrets to keep this little podcast going. Have you been thinking about it? Why don't you join us with your special story? There's a number of ways to get in touch with us. You can find them at secretroompodcast.com. But why don't you just try traditional old email? It still works. Send a note about your secret to share at secretroompodcast.com. I would love to have you on the show. Our theme music, as always, is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And also, as always, we love shiny five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app. Ask yourself, why haven't you left one yet? That's all for now. I'm Ben Ham, and this is The Secret Room. Hot on. An update just came in after production on this episode was complete, so you get some bonus content today. Remember Marie's street secret at the top of the show? I think she's kind of dumb. I remember saying that. Well, that wedding was this very afternoon. And Marie sent some sound from the wedding, which you're listening to right now, and a picture of the mariachi band, which of course is at facebook.com slash secretroompod. Marie texted, This guy I'm watching make his vows was my first crush. I liked him so much, and now I'm babysitting his dogs while he marries a chick I called Ditsy. She confessed the story, and they said we could post the picture. Oh well, Marie. At least you got a great party out of it. Hope you're having fun.